these are fairly new sort of concepts for me moving from a debt world into a sort of SaaS business model. A lot of these metrics, they're not complicated on the surface. I mean, you look at the calculations, they're pretty straightforward. But actually, the more you dig into them, the more complexity that you will find. Oh, yeah. How does that fit in to a cohesive, larger vision We will always have enough cash around. Strictly business. It's business. It's just business. Hey there, finance leaders, and welcome to CFO Year, your new favorite finance podcast. I'm Patrick, content manager at CFO Connect, and in this podcast, I talk to finance people in some of the most interesting and exciting companies in the world. In this episode, I spoke with Kerry McClellan, Director of Finance at FIT. That's F-I-I-T. Fit is the most popular fitness app in the App Store and has been featured in Forbes, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, and plenty more. The company raised a Series A of over 8 million pounds last year, and Kerry has been there to build the finance function ever since. We talked about her move from capital markets to fitness, the key metrics that power growth, and why killing their free trial was one of the best business decisions the company has made. As always, this show is brought to you by CFO Connect, the global community for finance leaders. Join us at cfoconnect.eu and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Kerry McClelland, welcome to CFO Year. Hi, Patrick. And I'll start with an easy one. Tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, so I'm Kerry McClelland. I'm finance director at FIT. I joined the company about 18 months ago, just after their Series A. And yeah, I've been with them for through a, a huge amount of change that our industry has seen. Um, so it's been a bit of a roller coaster over the last 18 months. But yeah, a fantastic ride so far. And I think the most important question to start with right away is, are you a fitness junkie? <laughs> I, I am actually yes guilty as charged I am um, I've always been a, a bit of a fitness junkie I've taken parts in a whole wide range of sports from as young as I can remember I remember my parents spending their evenings and weekends ferrying myself and my sisters around from one sports club to another um, but I think you know as I got as I've got older I've got two sort of two small children now so whilst I, I'm not taking part in competitive sports as much as I used to I'm still really passionate about fitness and exercise and how important that is for maintaining your physical and mental well-being so yeah I, I'm still very active. And is that the case for pretty much the whole team? I, I think, as you'd expect, the, the founders are obviously, um, <laughs> they would identify as being fitness junkies too, for sure. Uh, fitness has been a huge part of a lot of people's lives at FIT. I think it's one of the reasons that people are sort of so drawn to, to the company. But it's absolutely not a prerequisite. I think, you know, one of the great things about FIT as an app and as a business is that we're trying to offer a solution or a fitness that, that is um, something that everybody can enjoy and everybody can you know, take part in. So being a, a fitness junkie is absolutely not a prerequisite for either working for the company or enjoying the, what the app has to offer. Well, this is probably the perfect place to actually introduce FIT properly. Um, so why don't we begin with what is FIT's mission? 
Yeah, sure. So at Fit, we're on a mission to make exercise a habit for everybody. Um, some of the stats that that we sort of band around it as a business are quite staggering, actually. So 73% of people fail to stick to their exercise goals and 67% of gym members never actually go. In fact, I suppose they, they can't because if every gym member showed up three times a week, the gyms would have a huge capacity issue. And that's even before sort of COVID-19. Um, motivation tends to be the biggest barrier to fitness. So what we've tried to do at Fit is build a fitness app that puts habit formation front and centre. So, I mean, we let our members work out with some of the most in-demand personal trainers anytime they want, whenever they want, via a mobile app that also connects to their TV. We offer unlimited access to classes such as HIIT, combat, weight training, yoga, Pilates, and members can either choose to take classes on demand or follow structured training plans that will help them achieve specific goals. So it might be, for example, a push-pull plan, which would help them to build muscle and improve their performance over a four-week period. And we have classes from entry level through to advanced workouts, so members can continue to level up and track their progress as they go. I think the other thing that's quite important, uh, because we know that seeing your live stats pushes people to work out harder and more often, we allow our members to track their heart rate, their calorie burn and their reps with a fit device. Or they can monitor their stats with 25 other compatible trackers, including things like Apple Watch and more recently Fitbit. And we store their personal best so users can challenge themselves to beat previous scores and see how much they're improving. And the fitness tracker also lets them connect to over 60 daily scheduled group classes, which is the first of their kind in the UK, where you can either flow with friends in yoga or Pilates or you compete against um, other members from around the world in live leaderboard hit workouts. And the points in those classes are scored based on effort rather than fitness level. So anyone can win if they put in the work. We've recently launched on, I think it's, the other thing that's probably important is we've recently launched on services such as SkyQ and Amazon Fire. So users can now stream fit directly to their TVs, making access um, even easier. It's perfect for, <laughs> perfect for the current situation. Yeah, and we're definitely going to talk about that because, of course, everybody needs kind of DIY fitness ideas at the moment. But I wanted to go back. You mentioned fitness trackers. So so people can connect their own Apple Watch or Fitbit or whatever they're using, but you offer one as well? We do, yeah. So we offer a, we call it a fit device, which tracks reps and heart rate. Um, the nice thing about that is it also tracks reps. So if you use, for example, your Fitbit or your Apple Watch, it's, it's typically heart rate based, which um, whilst it allows you to take part in sort of all the cardio classes and compete on the leaderboard, actually being able to trap your reps is quite a nice element for some of the strength studio work being able to beat your personal best in various classes is, is quite a nice feature to have yeah and I'm, I'm really interested in the business model because I had originally assumed that we were talking about a fitness app which of course we are but we have a physical good as well so people can actually purchase the fitness tracker is it included in subscriptions does it come as part of a package how does it work exactly so we sell them separately. They used to be bundled in with the subscription, but actually what we've noticed over the over the course of the last sort of 18 months or so is a lot of people now have their own trackers and rather than having another piece of hardware to add to their collection, people like to make use of what they already have lying around. So we sell them as an add-on to the subscription so people can buy, we have either a heart rate tracker which we sell for 25 pounds or one that also tracks your reps which they sell for 45 pounds and I think it's important to note that we, we don't actually make much of a margin or any margin on those trackers we want people to have them to improve their experience and have the best possible experience so we pretty much pass those on at cost we want people to be connected and engaged with the product so it's there as more of a value add for the customers 
exactly that yeah it's really just to make sure they have the best possible experience Mm. And then I'd love to talk about the subscription model as well, because I know there's been some sort of evolution through that. There was a there was freemium. There's been free trials. Um, so I'd love it if you could just explain the sort of journey and what you discovered along the way and why you've said all that the subscription, the, the packages that you have today. Yeah, sure. So one thing that has been relatively constant and we haven't played around with too much is is the three different subscriptions that we offer. So we currently offer a monthly, quarterly and an annual subscription and they're priced differently. So you pay £20 a month to have um, the monthly subscription. The quarterly subscription works out at £45, so £15 a month. And we offer an annual subscription for £120, so £10 a month. And whilst the product started out as a premium only model when it first launched in sort of early 2018, since October 2018, there have been two ways that we've allowed people to access fit. So we had a free version of the app, which gave users access to a limited selection of 75 classes. And we had a premium version, which included our full suite of over 600 classes, 20 training plans, the ability to connect your monitors and see your live stats and take part in, take part in the live leaderboard group classes. Um, and I think when we introduced that, that, it was really the opportunity to give people a chance to experience fit before committing to a premium subscription. And that that worked quite well um, initially. But in January 2020, we changed that concept slightly. So we introduced a 14 day free trial of premium. So from January 2020, we actually allowed users to experience all the features of the premium offering completely for free before committing to the paid subscription, which was actually an even better introduction to fit because it gave everybody the full premium experience. And I think since launching that free trial in January, we've you know seen an average conversion rate of around 60 percent, which is really excellent. Um, uh, really excellent conversion rate within the sort of industry so stats that you see and the majority of people that convert from that free trial actually opt them for an annual subscription um and then i suppose the other thing that's important to note is the difference that we were seeing between our free members and our premium members so our data was actually showing us that the active premium members on average our active premium members were doing three classes a week which is about 12 classes a month but by comparison, most people with the free version of the app were using it pretty infrequently. So we we kind of drew the conclusion on that, that the, the free version of the app wasn't actually working to help us fulfill our mission, which is to keep people engaged and get them to form habits. It was the features that we'd invested in in the premium uh, version of the app that were really driving the motivation and the habit formation. And for that reason, that's where we decided as a business that we wanted to focus our energy. So from October 2020, we removed our free service to give our undivided attention to launching more new features on premium. And since then, we've been really busy accelerating the integration with more fitness watches, more trackers and partnering with some of the major TV services such as SkyQ and Amazon Fire and releasing a lot more content. I'm always really interested in this idea of free and free trials and freemium because from the outside, it, it sort of seems to make so much sense. Of course, you would offer something for free and that will bring in new customers. But then there's this trade-off, this idea that the amount of energy and effort that you're putting into that free service is actually detracting from the high-end experience that you're really trying to give to people. It's exactly right. And that's exactly the conversation that we had as a leadership team when we made the decision to move the free products. I mean, as we talked about initially, our hab our mission as a business is to make fitness a habit for everybody. And the free version of that product without the interactivity, without the stats tracking, without the content and the structured plans, it, it just wasn't 
it, it, it wasn't doing that. It wasn't delivering on that mission. It was all the features that we'd worked so hard on developing and built into our premium feature that was, we were really seeing be the most effective in actually leading people to create new habits and build exercise into their daily routines. So I think by giving people that free trial and allowing them to experience all of those features and experience the best of the product, I think it makes much more sense for us as a business to use that as our method to get people to experience the product. Because I think ultimately with the free version, they weren't experiencing the best that we had to offer. And you, you, you could see the sort of the, the engagement, the activity, it just wasn't anywhere. It was a night and day between people that were using the free products and the premium version. And is it difficult to compete as a premium service when people also have access to free things like YouTube and Instagram or the Nike training app, for instance? I think I think that's right. There's a there's a huge amount out there. And I think particularly sort of since COVID, a lot of people that may be focused all their energy on having a physical presence, everybody seems to have sort of jumped onto the digital bandwagon as a way of being able to deliver their business during a, a hugely challenging time. But I think what you do notice is if you want people to actually form habits and to come back and to keep coming back and to engage with the community and actually use this uh, use build this sort of new way of fitness and taking part in fitness into their lives it, there has to be more to it like you you can't simply I just don't think that sort of static dvd type content is effective at building those long-term habits so i think that's the differentiator yes there's a lot of content out there but i think you know people want to be able you know a lot of people find it difficult to build fitness and build those habits into their lives and i, I think a lot of that content that you can access for free doesn't necessarily help them tackle that problem if you're enjoying this conversation, then you've got to check out CFO Connect, the global community for modern finance leaders, like the ones on this podcast. We host monthly events and workshops, have a private Slack group for CFOs, and a one-on-one -on -one member matching program. CFO Connect membership is free, but reserved for experienced finance leaders. So if that's you, head over to cfoconnect.eu and apply to join us. Well, let's turn to COVID now, because as, as you mentioned earlier, lots more people are turning to online or virtual fitness um, where they maybe weren't interested in that in the past. Uh, I, for one, am working out in my apartment building's car park basement uh, and getting lots of strange looks from the neighbours. How has COVID impacted the business? I mean, it, it's been huge, I think, for the for the industry as a whole. I, I think what we've seen since COVID is is a huge acceleration of the move towards digital fitness. So I think if we look back to when Fit was founded in 2017, there was a general consensus among the founders that the fitness industry at that point in time was really lacking in digital innovation. You'd seen a, a, quite a lot of emergence and successful companies such as Netflix and Spotify in different areas, but there really wasn't at that time a huge amount of innovation in the fitness space. And I think since Fit has been around, there's that that that's definitely been changing. There's definitely been more interest in the digital innovation in the fitness space. And there has been growth for sure. And companies coming coming through and coming to the forefront. But I think what COVID has done when lockdown was first implemented back in March, we saw a huge acceleration in people coming to digital fitness platforms that maybe wouldn't have considered them before. And I think it's really opened people's eyes for the first time at just how good digital fitness solutions are now. 
if I'm honest, I, I think if you were to speak to people pre-COVID, people that hadn't experienced digital fitness before, and you asked a lot of them what first sprang to mind, a lot of them would probably think of, you know, the celebrity workout DVDs of old, where, you know, you put on the DVD, you follow around, and, and then you turn it off. I think with a lot of people now having experienced digital fitness throughout the, the first version of lockdown, and then again, you know, coming into further lockdowns sort of now, I think people have been surprised at just how good the experience is. And at FIT, certainly, we work really hard on making sure that that experience is the absolute best that it can be. So we use commercial music. We have the best trainers in the UK. We film all of our content in a TV grade studio here in East London. So we really can offer users that boutique workout feel. And I think when you add to that the interactivity and the ability to track their stats, a lot of users who are using FIT and using these digital platforms that, that can be this effective over a period of lockdown. I mean, a lot of people were working from home for a period of sort of six to seven months. What we also saw is that that's a long enough period of time for them to not just sort of try it once and put it down, but to actually use the use this app and use fit and actually start building that into routine and forming life-changing habits mm. we've come a long way from jazzercise and taibo <laughs> we really have we really have well i'd love to turn now to talk more about your career because before you joined fit you spent 15 years working in capital markets um, so i'm really interested to know first of all why the change and then I suppose if there are any obvious similarities or differences. Yeah, so I'd been with my previous company, which was a European real estate private equity fund for about 10 years, which is a really long time. Um, you know, I'd had two children during the time that I was there. I guess I was just at that point in my career where I was ready and I, I needed a fresh challenge and a new change. I, I guess if I'm honest, I enjoyed the work. But I lacked a passion for the wider industry. And after 10 years, I, I guess it yeah, it probably made working life a bit of a grind. So, yeah, I, I guess I was at a point in my career where I needed to take a risk. The easy thing to do might have been to find, you know, a slightly different role within the same kind of industry. But I, I, I think I just made the decision that it was now or never. And if I didn't sort of make that jump or try to make that jump now, it, it just becomes harder as you sort of move, continue to move through your career process. So, yeah, it was it was a big, a big risk. And I, I've spoken to a lot of friends. I mean, you don't know, I think, until you take that leap and actually find one of these roles, whether or not it's going to be the right move for you. But I certainly did as much research as I could. I have a, you know, fairly big network of friends and colleagues that I know have ended up in sort of startup world. So I did a lot of research on, on speaking to those guys and trying to understand the experience as best as possible. And then, yeah, I guess it was also just finding someone who's willing to take a bit of a risk on on you too so you know I, I I spoke to a few different startups this by far was the one that I was the most excited about and I guess it's it's finding you know when you come from an industry which maybe isn't the traditional fit so I, I'm not a qualified accountant by trade I think you do need someone potentially who can be a bit braver and to take a view on that and maybe think outside of the more traditional CVs that people might naturally sort of gravitate towards for these sorts of roles. So yeah, it, it's, it was a, it was a huge change for me. Super exciting. I was absolutely delighted to, to join the team and yeah, I think it's kind of reinvigorated my working life. If I'm honest, like I, I'm much more fulfilled. I absolutely love the company and the people that I work with. And yeah, it's, it's been the best career decision that I've made. Was that the biggest challenge coming to terms with the accounting side of the business? Um, I wouldn't say 
that in itself was the the biggest challenge. I, I mean, I guess nothing can really prepare you. I, I think for joining a startup, particularly you know a company that's rapidly scaling. So when I joined Fit, they just closed their Series A, and they were on a really lovely growth trajectory. Things were changing very very fast. I, I think nothing can really prepare you for how overwhelming that is. I mean, when I joined Fit, they didn't have a finance team. So, you know, coming in and really building something from the ground up, the scope of your remit is is absolutely huge, which is like thrilling, but also slightly terrifying. It covers, you know, the, the accounting side, the fundraising side, you know, a lot of the FP&A obviously is, is very central to the role. It's a, it's a really huge, huge job. And you're, you're responsible for kind of building that up from the ground. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'd say that was probably the biggest challenge rather than any sort of specific one task. It was more the, the scale of the, of the task at hand that was, that was quite terrifying. Well, let's talk about building that finance function then. Um, where did you start? Yeah, so I, I, suppose, I think a huge part of my role is accurately forecasting and helping to ensure that the business is really robust and resilient against the waves that inevitably come. I mean, nothing in the startup world ever goes exactly as you plan. So I think there's a really deep need for agile forecasting and scenario planning. So I, I, from day one, I spent a lot of time on that. So building a really comprehensive model, but at the same time, not being too precious over it and being you know, able to flex that and to respond to changes in the business and the, the wider market. I think done properly, the finance team really should help ensure that data is at the heart of the company's decision making. So that's something that I worked on quite early on, improving the data that we had access to. So both, you know, access to that data and also the quality of the analysis that was going on into our KPIs and our unit economics to make sure that the leadership team are really well briefed on the impact of their strategic initiatives on cash and unit economics. And also understanding the wider context of how some of these decisions are likely to impact securing ongoing capital for the business, which I suppose leads on to another key role as, you know, when I came in as a finance director was to work really closely with our CEO on securing the additional capital that's required to keep moving the business forward, while also maximising value for our existing stakeholders. So I think that's not just staying on top of financing options, whether that be debt or equity and managing those relationships and, you know, advising on the optimal approach. But it's, I think it's also about ensuring that the company's financial structures are solid enough that should we need to raise funds quickly, we have the ability to do that. And I think, you know, joining Fit so early in their journey had a pretty blank slate in terms of how we structured those financial controls and policies and being able to build that from the ground up and standardise our reporting and procedures. So that's been a huge piece of work over over the last 18 months or so, you know, really giving investors the the funding partners and the wider leadership, the team, the confidence that the numbers that they're seeing are, in fact, the numbers and that we run a tight ship and, uh, you know, adequately minimising our financial risk, I suppose. And when you joined, they'd just done a Series A round of financing, I believe. Has there been more fundraising since then? So we have done some convertible fundraising. So we've raised another approximately two and a half um, million of convertible funding, which will convert at a Series B. And how did you find that process? Yeah, good. I mean, interesting. I I hadn't, you know, uh, coming from my background is very much debt. So uh, when I was working in the private equity fund previously, I looked after the, the finance 
how they finance their business there but it was all sort of really debt funding so it's been a slightly different change in approach to me but going through that process with the convertible funding in a way it's a similar sort of process to um to, to raising your series a i mean we had to go through the diligence process it's also making sure that that convertible is structured correctly because you're looking to put something in place that converts at a point in time when you know you don't have you know I suppose there's a lot of work that goes into how you structure that and how you scope that opportunity. So what what caps you put on the conversion and what discounts you use. So, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was a it was a great learning experience for me, actually, to, to put those convertibles in place. We're always really interested to get CFOs takes on fundraising. Uh, you're now the third interview that we've done for CFO year. Uh, the first interviewee said that she doesn't even believe in fundraising at all. Uh, the second said it was the most exciting part of the job. And so I'm interested to hear that you, I, I suppose, are closer to our second interview um, where you, you've at least found it really enjoyable and a great way to learn. Yeah, I, I personally find it really exciting. And, you know, if we continue to move at the rate that we're moving, we'll have a Series B on our cards for hopefully some point next year. And I'm really excited about that process. I, I think for us to be able to continue to compete with, you know, the big players in, in this area, we're, we're going to have to fundraise and continue moving forwards at pace. So for me, to see the business scale and to see the business accelerate off the back of that financing is really exciting. I think that's, yeah, that's a huge part of my role and a big big sort of focus for me over the next few months, making sure we're in the position to really optimise that and protect, you know, secure the capital to allow our business to grow, but also to protect our existing um, funding partners and, and stakeholders and maximise value for them. And then practically speaking, in terms of division of labor with the CEO and anybody else that was involved in the process, what exactly was your role in the fundraising? Yes, I think our CEO um, is very well experienced in he's he's sort of founded a business before, um, taken that through a sort of Series C and raised huge amounts of money previously. So he's very well connected in that space. I'd say the CEO manages the kind of relationships in this space that's that's he brings so much value to there and pitching so he'll manage the pitch deck and a lot of the introduction meetings the the finance stuff sits pretty squarely on my shoulders so I will be the one who put together the model and our forecast for how we're going to use that money and take the business forwards I'll prepare all of our you know financial reporting historically I'll prepare our data room all of our KPIs and you know be on hand to there's obviously a lot of focus on that as you move through the due diligence process and being able to explain those numbers and those calculations and how you reach those conclusions to potential investors so I will very much take on that role in the process and then also you know in-house legal sits under my remit so once we once we progress to you know term sheets and documentation I'll also manage that process. Are your finance processes stuck in the stone age? Huge delays, long email trails, and everything written on paper? In 2020? It's time to evolve. Spendesk gives you automated expense management and smart company cards, ready to use on day one. Every team member can spend safely, even while remote. And finance teams save on average two plus days per month on tedious admin. There's no lengthy setup and no training required. Just expense processes that belong in this day and age. Don't be a dinosaur. Use Spendesk.
when I joined FIT, I was the first person that they employed within the finance function. So, and at that point in time, we still today, we, we actually outsource our accounting still. So we use external accountants to do our day-to-day bookkeeping. So we're still only a team of two, um, but we are looking to grow that next year. So the first role that I brought in was a finance manager who operates in more of a financial controller capacity. So a really nice fit for me being a non-qualified accountant. Uh, Lawrence, who came in and joined the business in May, he is a qualified accountant trained with PwC. And he actually looked after our account for quite a while when he was working for the accountancy cloud, who used to be our sort of outsourced accountancy provider. So we were super lucky to get Lawrence to join the business in May. He's already been working with the business for 12 months. Um, He's an amazing accountant. And so having him come in and really take ownership of the financial controller aspect of the role has been huge for me because it's freed up so much of my time to be able to focus on the fundraising side and on the FP&A and making sure that strategic um, analysis is is we're really all on top of that at the moment because there's been a huge amount of change as you can imagine in the business and in the industry over the last six to nine months so yeah it's that's taken a, a lot of time. And as a business that revolves around an app, where does the finance team really focus its energy? Yeah, so I I, I suppose from sort of Lawrence's perspective, we spend a lot of time at month end. We one of the key metrics for us, obviously, is MRR. We have the three different subscription types. We have monthly, quarterly and annual. So there's a huge amount of work that goes into correctly deferring all that revenue and all the fees and the discounts and stuff that's associated with those subscriptions to make sure that that's accurately reflected. And we're really understanding how we're growing or, you know, how the MRR is moving on a month by month basis. And then a lot of the kind of unit economics that come off the back of that. So we spend a lot of time looking at our churn and really trying to get under the skin of some of those those metrics around, yeah, yeah churn, um, lifetime value of our customers, cost to acquire them. So a lot of our time is focused on that. And a lot of these, I suppose, what I found, I mean, these are these are fairly new sort of concepts for me moving from a debt world into a sort of SaaS business model. A lot of these metrics, they're not complicated on the surface. I mean, you look at the calculations, they're pretty straightforward, but actually the more you dig into them, the more complexity that you will find. I mean, even as something as simple as churn, for example, when you look at how churn calculations are typically calculated, you look at how many users are leaving the business in a month out of how many you had at the start of the month. But that's of limited value, I suppose, to a business that has people on monthly, quarterly and annual subscriptions, because as you find people moving between those pots of annual and monthly, you'll find your churn will change. So, for example, we've seen a huge shift to people taking annual subscriptions, which has obviously had a huge impact on bringing our overall churn down. And that's really useful for sure to see and to understand as a business. But what's also really interesting, I think, is to look at that churn on a more granular level. So, how many of those users on a monthly subscription, so if you just take just a monthly, how many of our monthly subscribers are churning month on month? How many of our quarterly subscribers are churning at the end of every quarter? So not just looking at how many churn per month, but how many of our users churn when they have the opportunity to churn? And to really understand those metrics, I think you've got to start breaking your data out. So looking at the different subscription types, also trying to understand if we've got differences between different segments of our users. So maybe people that are coming in via the app store versus people that are coming in via our website and yeah you, you can get quite granular with <laughs> with some of these metrics and is that the chief way that you are sort of adding extra value for the company looking at those metrics uh, whether it's churn or cac or ltv 
and not just measuring them, but actually finding ways that you can apply those numbers to the business strategy? Yeah, that's exactly right. That, that's been a huge part of my role and a huge amount of my time. So when I first started, I, I rebuilt our business model. And actually, the most complicated part of that was really building effective way to track and to measure your unit economics. So things like churn, lifetime value, a lot of the time, these things are more of an art than a science, you can interpret a lot of these, uh, a lot of the, the factors that you use to generate these figures can be interpreted in different ways. And it's really trying to get to the best possible solution for your business and try to get the most value out of the information that you can extract from that data. And a lot of the time, it isn't just taking those calculations at surface level. It's really digging down below the surface and looking at differences and, and you know, trends. So for example, if you just take churn again, you look at typically you'll, you'll calculate a churn percentage, whether that be, you know, 5% or, or 7%. And by having a singular percentage, you're kind of applying that your churn is is linear. But what we find, for example, as a business, and particularly in the fitness space, is actually our churn might be slightly steeper in the first few months as people maybe um, try it for the first time and it's not for them. But we find that we have a really strong tail. So actually, once we have retained people for a period of time, we have this really strong cohort of what we call kind of core users that don't ever churn. They just they're kind of addicted. They they stay and they're really engaged and they're really active. So, yeah, there's a lot of different um, you can really dig down into the granularity of a lot of these figures and the same for, you know, LTV, for example, calculating the lifetime value of these users. And then to go right back to what we talked about earlier, this is the business case for getting rid of that free plan. You're actually getting people hooked on a better service or a higher quality service, and then that's keeping them around and you end up performing better as a business. That's exactly right. That's what we want. We want Ultimately, we want to be able to deliver an experience that allows anybody to to make fitness a habit in their lives and the features that we were able to offer on the free version just were not effective in doing that just out of interest was that an easy call to make looking at the numbers ultimately so it is something we which we discussed over a period of time and i think you know by introducing the 14 day free trial in january by the time we came out uh, you know back end of summer we had a really strong uh, you know a really decent amount of data actually to show the conversion rates and a really nice mechanic to see how people were finding that experience. So being able to experience the full premium product rather than just a really watered down free version that didn't have the same features and see how strong those conversion rates were. So it is something that we talked about for a long time and you can do, uh, you know, a lot of speculating, but yeah, I mean, ultimately it was a data decision. You could see how engaged our premium users were versus our free and, yeah, it, it became an easier decision the more data that you had and the more digging you did into the numbers and the data. What has surprised you most in your time at Fit, either about the, the role or the company itself? What were you not expecting? I guess I'd probably go back to, I, I thought I'd prepare myself, you know, as much as I, I could before I joined the company, but I, I think nothing can really prepare you for joining a startup that is moving so quickly for just how overwhelming that is. And it's so exciting. I absolutely loved it, but it, it is a huge task in front of you. And, you know, where you, when you do start a lot of these companies, when they bring someone in to manage the finances, particularly if that's the first hire that they've made into that team, you really are starting with a blank piece of paper and to have that opportunity to, 
build those policies and procedures and structure that team and grow that part of the business from scratch is so exciting, but it's also hugely overwhelming. So it, yeah, I, I guess that was the biggest, no, I think nothing really prepares you for that. I've absolutely loved it, but you know, it's, it is a lot. I think the thing that I've enjoyed the most is working with, you know, really ambitious, collaborative people that are really passionate about what they're doing. That's been a huge change for me. Um, just having a team that's really collaborative and you know has everybody's pulling in the same direction and really passionate about what they're doing is really motivating it really yeah I I found that uh, really refreshing and fit is if I'm right the number one fitness app in the app store that's right yes that's right what's the secret do you think we work so hard on every element of the business. This has been, we've been constantly iterating since the app was launched back in sort of 20, early 2018, constantly iterating and improving like every single element. So I think it's that thirst for learning and thirst for improvement. I mean, we, since the, we looked back actually very recently, our production team did a sort of lunch and learn for us on how the production has changed from launch to where we are today. And because things move so quickly, you sometimes forget where you've come from. But I think it's just that attention to detail for, you know, that that runs throughout the whole business, through every department, just constantly iterating. How can we improve this? How can we make something better? And it's something which is a business we've always been really focused on. And and I, I think we will continue to be focused on in the, in the future. And I think that kind of thirst for improvement and that constant feeling that you know we can always improve and we can always make things better that as yeah as as really helps to set us apart and then from the finance side how close are you to the actual content and the the fitness classes so we actually have a studio we film all our content in our it's attached to our office in our sort of accommodation in east london so whilst a lot of us are working remotely at the moment it's not quite the same but when the office reopens we work alongside our production studio so the studio sits next to the office and we see the trainers coming in and we you know we're in and out and you know seeing what's happening so yeah really close and i think that's been really fundamental actually in building that collaborative environment because otherwise I think you do risk that feeling quite separate from the rest of the business but having that film studio space right next to the office really makes everyone feel part of the product that we're delivering. Mm, and that's a really common theme that I hear a lot having uh, you know speaking to so many CFOs either in this podcast or through our CFO Connect meetups and webinars etc there seems to be this pretty clear difference between the startup lifestyle or the startup way of doing business where things are hands-on and where CFOs really get to be part of all of the different teams and, and really help versus perhaps some of the experiences that they've had in previous roles where they're really more of the final cog in the machine, but they're not so much a part of really building the business themselves. Oh, it's so important. Absolutely. And since I joined Fit, we've always talked about um, our our goal as a business is to be able to operate in, in squads, if you like. So to have specific squads working on tackling key initiatives for our business, whether that be growth or subscriber engagement and having that squad made up of people from all over the business, different departments. So 
we've, we've recently reached a size, I think we've got just over 60 employees now where we can start to do that. So fairly recently, sort of this course, we've implemented, you know, proper squad structures for the, for the first time. So we have a squad tackling growth. We have a, to- a squad tackling, you know, imp- driving, continuing to drive our user engagement and activity. And those squads are made up of people from production, from sales and marketing, from the engineering team. And also they'll have representation from finance. And I, I think it's so great to see that collaboration and see people from all across the business coming together to tackle a problem as a whole. It brings so many different perspectives. Um, yeah, I'm really excited, actually, about that. We're still in sort of early days of working through those solutions, but it's going really well. People are really motivated and really excited to be part of those squads and tackling those big issues. So I think it's going to be um, I think it's going to be great for the business. Well, I'm going to let you go in just a moment. Uh, but before I do, we always like to ask five sort of key questions of every guest. Okay. So the first one, what is one finance tool you couldn't live without? Mm, I think there's a lot. <laughs> They've all been new to me since starting here. I guess because I joined just after we raised the Series A and one of my first things that I had to tackle was getting our cap table sorted. I'll say cap desk. It was transformative <laughs> to my experience of managing that cap desk, taking it that cap table, taking it out of Excel and putting it into a proper sort of format. And uh, they were the team there were absolutely fantastic in helping us do that and get that organized. And I still use it, you know, day in, day out to for round modeling and for checking structures. And yeah, it's, it's been great. I've really enjoyed using that that service. If there was one part of your day-to-day that you could outsource completely and never have to worry about, what would it be? Probably, this is terrible to to say this, actually, it doesn't reflect very well on me, but probably organizing my inbox. And I think that's a bit of a hangover from moving to, as you can imagine, I came from the corporate world, where it was Outlook, (laughs) and all those those good things to a world where you've got, uh, yeah, Gmail and uh, Google Docs and Google Sheets, which has been amazing but it's it's a it's a huge adjustment <laughs> so i think you know moving for, to a labeling system and yeah it's been uh, yeah I, so i'm still not fully on top of the labeling and organizing in my inbox i'm slightly ashamed to say so yeah if i could have someone to just come in and sort my inbox out for me that would be great you are now the second cfo who has said email inbox <laughs> so you're not alone good good what's the best advice you've ever received yeah, that's a tough one. I, I'm going to be led slightly. I've been watching the playbook on Netflix where, you know, a number of sports coaches give their advice on what has made them sort of great coaches. And actually, there's been some really great things from that that have stuck with me. So the one that I really liked from the episode that I listened to recently is from Dawn Stanley, who was a South Carolina women's baseball coach, uh, basketball coach. And she used to say, what is delayed is not denied. And I think that's so true. You can get so caught up in your careers of you know not being where you thought you were going to be at a particular time or maybe careers plateauing and I think it's so important to remember that what is delayed is not denied that there is there is time you can you know you can make changes and you know you continue to move forward if something isn't going you know necessarily as quickly as you think it it should be going it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. Which other finance leaders do you talk to or learn from regularly? Yes I suppose 
actually this is a an interesting one for me because I've come into a sort of finance director sort of finance leadership role from a very different angle I don't have a huge network of people in the sort of CFO world that I speak to so I lean quite heavily on old um, bosses that I've worked in in a sort of banking capacity and sort of friends and colleagues that work in similar functions but I do a lot of reading so since joining FIT I've, I've done a lot of digging into sort of blog articles and research and really trying to understand SaaS business models and economics so you know people like Andrew Chen for example provide amazing resources on KPIs and economics and drivers of the business models which I've, I've found super useful. And finally why did you join CFO Connect? So I suppose there's a bit of overlap with my previous question. Because I'm not an accountant, I haven't necessarily come from that world. And this is my first foray into the startup world too. Having immediate access to a network of people already in that industry has been hugely valuable to me. It's an opportunity to learn from others, you know, bounce ideas around, share knowledge. And yeah, just having that immediate access to that network of people that you know I, I haven't necessarily had the opportunity to grow organically myself over the having a career sort of on a slightly different tangent previously is in- extremely valuable to me. Kerry McClelland, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. CFO Year is brought to you by CFO Connect, the fastest growing global community for finance leaders. Find the show on Apple or Spotify or at cfoconnect.eu. Please remember to subscribe and share, and you can email podcast at cfoconnect.eu with any questions or feedback. Join CFO Connect for webinars and workshops, get our expert resources, and be a part of an exclusive Slack group just for experienced finance professionals. Just visit cfoconnect.eu. That's cfoconnect.eu.